Hi everybody, I'm Peter Jacobson, and welcome to Jake's Takes. Well, as we all know, golf is the greatest game in the world because we can watch some of the greatest players play against each other. We can watch Tiger Woods go up against Brooks Kepka and Jack Nicklaus go up against the late great Arnold Palmer, go back on YouTube and look at Hogan versus Sneed. Now, we understand all about the competitive aspects of the game, but one of the great things about the game of golf is players from all levels, all abilities can get together and do something good, raise money for charity. And that's basically what my week was last week. Spent um, last week in Naples, Florida, my hometown. And on Monday, I did a pro-am fundraiser at Old Collier Golf Club in Naples for the Immokalee Foundation, which is a Wonderful organization, been around a long time raising money to help children, struggling children in the community. And then on Thursday, I did a pro-am benefiting the Naples chapter of the First Tee, run by Cindy Darlin, who does a wonderful job down here. It was a lot of fun. Jim Furyk came down and played as the as the main draw, the big, the big dog, so to speak, at the Immokalee Foundation Pro-Am. He had come from Kevin Kisner's Pro-Am and came in Sunday night. And we teed it up on Monday, and I heard from a lot of people who said how much how much fun they had playing with Jim Furyk. I know Jim's quiet. He has built a Hall of Fame resume throughout his career. When I say Hall of Fame, he's not in there yet, but I fully expect him to be so. Uh, his caddy and my old caddy, Mike Fluff Cowan, also came down and played in the Pro-Am, and Stayed with me at our house, so it was fun catching up with Fluff again. And the first tee was was also special. George McNeil from the PGA Tour, who's actually playing this week at the RSM Classic on Sea Island. He played. He played in the group right in front of me and shot 59 at Calusa Pines. And any of you that know Calusa Pines know that uh, there's nowhere to find 59 out there unless you're as good as George. Pretty impressive round of golf, and it was fun for me to catch up with my Pure Insurance First Tee Open partner of about two, three months ago at Pebble Beach, Robert Walbert, an 18-year-old senior in high school who can really play. Had a chance to catch up with him again and reminisce about the great week we had at Pebble Beach. But another player who came down, stayed with me here at the house, and played in the Immokalee Foundation Pro-Am was Chris O'Connell. Chris O'Connell played his college golf at Notre Dame. He was a captain on the golf team there. He tried to make it as a PGA Tour pro on the tour, but he could never quite get his game together. And so we decided to go into teaching, and he hooked up with my teacher, Jim Hardy. Oh my gosh, probably 12, 14 years ago. And pretty interesting story. He ran into a struggling young pro at the time on the web.com tour, now the Corn Ferry tour, named Matt Kuchar. And Matt had had some struggles with his game and was looking for probably a fresh start in a new direction. So he and Chris O'Connell slowly built what is pretty obviously one of the most consistent games in the world as Matt heads out to the President's Cup later on this year. He's been on President's Cup teams and Ryder Cup teams. And I'm not going to say it's all because of Chris, because as we all know, you're the guy that has to hit the shot and nobody can tell you how to do it. So it's up to the player, but it's nice to have that confidence, 
knowing that you've got somebody who really understands your game behind you. So that guy for Matt Kuchar is Chris O'Connell. So we're going to catch up with Chris a little bit on the show and talk a little bit about teaching and how it's important for you and your student to really click to get some great results. It's a jungle in here and we all know it. The fans are fired up and making sure they show it. People ask me all the time now, when I play in an outing or a tournament or just with friends, why do I play a yellow ball? Well, it's pretty simple, really, because I can see it. I can see the ball in flight all the way from the tee down to the landing spot, whether that's the fairway or, yeah, a fairway bunker. At my age now, I lose the white ball in flight. When Srixon first started making the Z-Star yellow ball, and they put it in my locker, it was to hand out to my amateur partners in the Pro-Am. And I was thinking, I'm not going to play this ball. I'm going to play the white ball. But when they put it in play, I could see their ball. And I immediately thought, what in the heck? I could see that ball. And believe me, when you lose sight of the ball in flight, and you don't know where it lands, it kind of takes a little bit of the fun away. So what I did right then, I switched to the yellow ball. I started playing it in the Pro-Ams, and eventually I started playing it in the tournament. Whenever you switch to a new ball, you're always worried about how that ball is going to fit in with what you do, how it affects your game. And I play it because it does everything I need it to do. I always think about proper spin, the proper trajectory, and the maneuverability of the shot. With the Strixon Z-Star yellow ball, I can curve it left or right, hit it high or low, and it has that perfect amount of spin that I need for my game. It's been about 10 years now since I put that ball in play, and I've never looked back. It's yellow for me for the rest of my career. So, Chris, one thing that I think a lot of people ask about is what do you teach a tour player? You work with Matt Kuchar exclusively and have been for how many years has it been now? Uh, 13 years. 13 years. Is it safe to say you took Matt Kuchar off the scrap heap <laughs> and put him right into the on the world stage, or that would be a little unfair? Well, people always give me a lot of credit, and I always say he was a pretty good player when I yeah, met him. I mean, it wasn't like he couldn't get it in the air. You know, it's what's fun about teaching somebody at that level is they're, they're already one of the best in the world. I mean, they're in the 99.99999 percentile of <laughs> golfers. And if you can just make them a little bit better, I mean, if you can make them a quarter of a shot better, a half a shot better, it totally changes where they're ranked in the game. And so you're already taking somebody that's really good and you're trying to uncover where's a weakness that I can improve this person. And for Matt it was his it was his long game. He didn't he didn't his iron game particularly wasn't a very good iron player and and iron game between driving iron game short game and putting iron game is the most important uh tiger woods is tiger woods tiger's good at all of them but tiger really dominates people in the iron game 
category and so matt was losing in that category and he's now turned into a great iron player you played collegiately at notre dame you were the captain of the golf team when you were in school and you tried to play professionally so you understand what it takes from the first tee to the 18th green and all the intricacies of playing you also teach beginners you teach uh, seniors juniors women men it doesn't really matter but the pressure's got to be on when you get with a PGA Tour player on the range, it's it's difficult for a teacher to get a half a shot around off of a tour player's game. Yeah, and you're dealing with that person's livelihood and and their family uh, their family's livelihood, and so it it's not something to be to be taken lightly. I think the first rule. This is going to sound really bad, but the first rule is you don't want to hurt anybody. Worst case scenario, they leave as they came, and I think. Too often in golf instruction, I think a lot of people are scared of golf instruction, including tour players, because they hear these stories of how somebody put in the work and got worse. But you're just, you're, you're trying to figure out, and for me, it's all about ball performance. It's about, does the ball like what you're doing to it? Uh, it's I don't have a swing model, because if you have a swing model, I can show you uh, literally everybody in the Hall of Fame that doesn't fit your swing model. I mean, there, there's no two swings in the Hall of Fame that look alike. I heard you say that the other night. Does your ball like your golf swing? And I just laugh because, boy, that's so true. If It's the same with golf clubs. When you go get fit and you get a bad fitting, or, well, you really can't get a bad fitting, but if you take, pick up your buddy's driver or his, his wedge and you hit it, and you may hit it on the face, but, but it feels terrible. And that's really what happens with the golf swing. I think it's got to be easier when you play in a pro-am and you've played in thousands as I have. It's got to be fairly easy when you're playing with a beginner or somebody who can't get the ball in the air. You can give them a quick tip or two and get them to get the ball in the air. But but I, I just know that when I've worked with you and both of our mentors and our teachers is Jim Hardy. I remember early on when I worked with all the teachers in the game pretty much after 43 years in the game I've worked with and I know all of the great teachers and they all have great messages but the key is to find that one person that works with you and I can honestly say that when I started working with Jim Hardy I started hitting the ball better immediately how important is that to you and your students well I I didn't believe in golf instruction until I met Jim Hardy and there were two things that attracted me to him number one he said there's not one set of fundamentals there's two and that's why we're all confused because uh, you'll hear you'll hear varying fundamentals of you want to swing your arms around you in the backswing you want to swing straight back you want to bend over to dress you want to stand upright you want a strong grip you want a weak grip you want it laid off at the top you want it across the line swing down the line swing left i mean on and on and so you get confused because here you got uh two opposing uh 180 degrees opposite and and we're saying that these are the fundamentals of golf well there's two sets of fundamentals the second thing he told me but really engaged me because I'm kind of low patience. I'm not really, uh, I never enjoyed golf lessons when they told me you're going to get worse before you get, get better. I just uh, didn't make me want to take a golf lesson. <laughs> yeah. Jim Hardy said, uh, if I do my job and I can pick out uh, the fault that's causing your ball to not behave and you have the athletic ability to change it, that ball's going to fly better and it's going to fly better right now. Now, it might feel awkward. Uh, but Jim said you should get better right now, not three months, not six months, not a year. He said you don't need to struggle. 
And that really made sense to me because uh, I didn't understand the whole, we're going to rebuild your swing and change your grip and your setup and your halfway back, top of back swing on and on. And what attracted me to Jim was, was he said, uh, you know, and in fact, the co our company tagline is hit the next ball better. You know, I've been a pretty good ball striker my whole career, and I think one of the strengths of my game has been my driving. I've been pretty good off the tee. I hit a lot of fairways. But I always know that my first drive of the day is going to be a good one in comfort, luxury, and in style because I'm going to and from the golf course in my Lexus GX460. I've been a brand ambassador of Lexus now for over 30 years, and in my opinion, it's the best vehicle on the road today. Now, I may have had a few body parts replaced over the years, but that's just in my 65-year-old body. My Lexus needs nothing but routine maintenance, and that's just the way I like it. It's a jungle in here, and we all know it. The fans are fired up, making sure they show it. They're rowdy and loud, not your usual crowd. It's a jungle in here, and we all know it. Took a hit last year with what happened with his caddy down at uh, in Mexico. I, I just teach won. him. I just teach him golf. <laughs> you don't give him. Yeah. What, you don't what, give why him you blame, caddy. Why are you blaming me for that? <laughs> what I, what I, the point I'm making is you and I both know Matt really well, and there, he is such a he's such a kind, honest, helpful guy, and we all make mistakes, and he rectified that mistake. But the reason I bring that up is to talk specifically about Matt and his willingness to try things and. I think he and I are both very similar in that, and I think you would probably agree that when you suggest it to Matt or to me or Jim Hardy suggests something, we're going to give it a try. Yeah. I, I'm not resistant, yeah. and Matt's not resistant, and that, that makes it more fun for you, the teacher. Oh, man. I mean, what you want is you want a good athlete who's coachable, and sometimes we only get one of those two ingredients. Might be Might be willing, might be... Uh, coachable, but they're not a good athlete. Or they might be a good athlete, but they're not coachable. Matt Kuchar is absolutely both of those. And so if I ask him to do something, no matter how odd it might feel, he's going to give it a try. And he knows that the ultimate judge on whether this is the right information is not me. The ultimate judge is, is the ball flying better? Is it, is it more solid? Is the impact more solid and is it more repetitive? Because there's two things. There's only two things you're trying to do to play. Whether you're trying to win your third flight at your club championship or win the U.S. Open, you need to hit the ball solidly and you need to be repetitive at it. And that doesn't mean the ball starts right at the target and never leaves the target. I mean, Bubba Watson never starts the ball at his target, but it sure does finish on his target. So Matt is willing and able, and he trusts me, and that that's been gained over time, but. Uh, Matt knows that, that if I ask him to do something that, that he's never felt before, or if I ask him to do something new, it's going to feel awkward. Uh, but as Matt and I say, man, you really, 
you really get over that awkward feel if the ball all of a sudden starts starts flying right. I remember when I was playing mo uh, most of my golf on the PGA Tour working with Jim Hardy. Jim worked with a different bunch of players as well, but some would stick and some would leave. And everybody, whenever they leave, a tour player, when they leave their coach, they feel bad. They go, oh, my gosh, I, I don't know how to break the news to him. Every time a player would leave Jim Hardy's stable of players, Jim was happy because he said, look, if what I'm telling you is not working, all I care about is you. You right. need to play the best golf you can. It's like if you get the wrong size pair of shoes, you got to change shoes, you got to change size. And that's why I think working with G Jim Hardy has been such a uniquely enjoyable experience for me. And it's got to be the same for you working with him as as his sidekick. Yeah, I would never want somebody to sacrifice their career because we had a, a relationship. Um, and in fact, I tell my players, if somebody else out there can get you to perform better, then then you should leave me immediately because we're, we're talking about your, your livelihood and your career. And I do see a lot of players sometimes stay with an instructor and they're simply not getting the results. They m might be getting worse or they're just kind of stagnant. And all of a sudden, three years goes by, five years goes by, and, and in my opinion, they squandered uh, their career. And I just think it's, it's important to when you, you find that right person. A lot of people never find that person uh, that, can, that can really help them improve and, and kind of keep, keep their game, just keep improving. And uh, once you find that person, uh, as long as you're, you're getting results, because no, nobody's ever left a teaching pro when they're hitting the ball the best of their life. I mean, you leave somebody because you're, you're not hitting the ball well or, or you're, you're kind of staying at the same level you don't want to be at. Yeah, you're stagnant. You, yeah. Can, get, you can get very stagnant. Uh, the, uh, the most difficult part of your job has to be trying to take an already great player like Matt Kuchar. And while he's making a change, I don't care if it's ball position or hand position or trying to get the club a little more open or square on the backswing, how he can make that change and still be competitive. That's the hardest part of your job. Yeah. So what I'm trying to do is I'm not, I'm not looking to make a bunch of changes. I'm looking to change the least amount but have the biggest impact on the flight of the ball versus change a bunch and have no impact on the fly of the ball. I've seen people change their swing, but they came hitting thin hooks and their swing visually changed, but they left hitting thin hooks. And so I'm looking for the biggest area of opportunity. And then my job is to take take whatever that area of the swing is that I want to I want to see change and make uh give him the simplest most uh, easy to understand. I might relate it to another sport that he played. I mean, Matt plays a lot of tennis, plays a lot of uh, table tennis, ping pong. And so th the more I can give him just a simple visual or a feel, rather than put it on video and, and get super technical about what muscle he's using at this quadrant of the swing and blah, 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 uh, the simpler you can make it and the fewer thoughts. I mean, the most things I'm ever asking Matt to do in his swing, as far as the swing thought, is one. I'm not, I'm not going to ask Matt to think about more than one thing. And the more that that thought is just basic, or you almost shame him into it sometimes. You just say, you give him something that sounds so simple that you say, my eight-year-old daughter, if I asked her to do that, wouldn't ask me, how do I do that? She, yeah, I can do that. That's you, that. You, you shame him and he doesn't fire you? <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, to play competitive golf, and I think that's where I... Uh, 
one of my strengths is I did play a lot of competitive golf, and I understand that you can't play great golf when you have a lot of swing thoughts. But I also don't think that you can just go out there and think about nothing. Unless you just have a, a great golf swing that's dead on plane and swings end to end. Uh, but most of us kind of have, we have a thumbprint or a default. And so that one thought, that kind of called an occupying thought, is what you're thinking about to try to get your swing to neutral. Because if you don't think about it, your swing is going to be a little bit off. And it's kind of like a thumbprint. We, we think we wake up every day with a new swing. We don't. We don't. I mean, to, to change a golf swing is a little bit glacial sometimes it it takes time but bad bad changes take time as well yeah yeah chris you teach you live in dallas you teach at waters creek you also spend the summers up in long island in new york and you teach it friars head golf club so anybody out there that's listening that lives in the dallas area i highly recommend you get over and take a lesson from chris o'connell because uh he knows as much about it, the game as anybody he learned from my mentor jim hardy who i've always respected as one of the most if not the most knowledgeable people in the game of golf chris thanks for spending some time with us thank you it's a jungle in here and we all know it we all know it and we all know it we all know it as we head into the end of the year i think it's important for you to ask yourself how do you best prepare to play the upcoming season. How do you practice? And I think it's an important thing for you to understand your best practice. For example, do you like to look at a lot of swing videos? Do you like to hit balls off of mats? Do you like to hit it off of grass? Do you like to practice on the golf course or do you practice your golf course on the range? I know a lot of PJ Tour players before they play a round of golf will go out and actually play each hole on the range before they're round. The first hole may be a, a cut three iron or a cut three wood off the tee. They will actually hit that shot in preparation of the round, which starts in 15 or 20 minutes. But one thing you need to do, whether it's chipping games, putting games, little competition with your, your, your pals at the club for nickels and dimes or dollars or $100 bills, you need to figure out how to be effective with your practice. I always had little games. Whenever my chipping or my bunker play wasn't very good, we would always, my, my old caddy, Mike Cowan, Fluff, would go out and we would play little games on and around the green to make me for, more effective. I essentially would, would put pressure on myself to accomplish my goal. Same thing with my golf swing, whether I'm with my teachers working on swing plane or or some position, I would work on that on the range. That's what I would call golf swing. But then I'd go out onto the golf course and I would play golf. You can't mix the two. You can't play golf swing while you're trying to shoot a score. You have to play golf because when you're out on the golf course, you don't get the perfect lies. You don't always hit it in the fairway. You hit it on the rough, you hit it in the trees, and you have to create a shot. So this winter, when you're taking some time away from your competitive schedule, think about how best you prepare to play for the upcoming season. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's Jake's Takes podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Peter Jacobson. These have been my takes. What are yours?